Welcome to the Modern Mexico Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Parrish. On today's episode of the podcast, we're talking about the ongoing efforts to rebuild Acapulco, a beach city on Mexico's Pacific coast that was devastated by storm damage during Hurricane Otis in October 2023. While 200 mile per hour gusts of wind buffeted the city, Residents and hotel guests cowered inside. The next morning, nearly 250,000 homes were damaged and many beachfront hotels were almost totally destroyed. Initial estimates calculated that over 80% of the city's 20,000 hotel rooms had been damaged and that the bill for reconstruction would top $16 billion. Mexico's president, a polarizing populist named Andres Manuel López Obrador, refused to visit Acapulco in the aftermath of the storm. On November 9th, barely two weeks after the storm, Mexico's federal government declared that the emergency in Acapulco was over. López Obrador has announced a preliminary aid package to help with recovery, but he stopped short of announcing a major plan to rebuild Acapulco. Right now, many of Acapulco's residents are still struggling to earn money and feed their families, and most people haven't even started to rebuild their homes. Lopez Obrador has offered Acapulco's residents what he calls a self-construction strategy that includes around $3,500 in aid. He has encouraged locals to, quote, take advantage of this new situation and build stronger dwellings. He also said that rebuilding 250,000 houses was too much for the government to finance on its own. He has also refused to offer direct aid or loans to help hotels rebuild. But... For Lopez Obrador, the impact of Hurricane Otis wasn't all bad. On November 22nd, during his morning press conference, Lopez Obrador bragged that the storm hadn't managed to damage his overall popularity. Y no pasa nada. Alguien decía, ¿Cómo es posible que no le haya afectado? Lo de Acapulco. Porque no conocen al pueblo y además... Acapulco faces an uphill battle to recover its reputation as a major tourism hub. The city still has important assets such as the historic Flamingos, Boca Chica, and Mirador hotels. But... Acapulco still faces complex problems such as high levels of violence and poverty. In the last few decades of the 20th century, Acapulco developed into one of the world's premier vacation destinations, and its population exploded from under 100,000 in 1965 to over 1 million today. Over the last 10 years, Acapulco has earned a less positive reputation for being one of the most violent cities on earth. And even before the storm hit, Acapulco faced serious challenges. Now, 
Acapulco's economy will struggle to stay afloat after the devastation from Hurricane Otis. On today's podcast, we're talking to James Frederick, a veteran Mexico correspondent who traveled to Acapulco to report on the storm damage from Hurricane Otis. Hi, James. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So today we're talking about recovery after Hurricane Otis in Acapulco. And I wanted to start out with a little bit of context. And I'm wondering, what three words would you pick to describe the social and economic context in Acapulco? Well, the first one I would pick is fragile. I mean, especially in the wake of uh, Hurricane Otis, but even before that, and, and it's fragile in the sense that, you know, given the uh, security and organized crime conditions in Acapulco, um, given the, uh, you know, large disparity between uh, rich and poor in Acapulco, um, I mean, I, I, and especially being there since a lot of fragility um in the city the second one as as i mentioned a little bit there is stratified um you know like much of mexico but particularly guerrero which is a very poor state there is a huge economic gap between kind of the 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 upper echelon of tourism in acapulco and then the large uh majority population in acapulco which is quite poor and 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 lives in pretty rough neighborhoods in the city um, and and that's again something that's going to be exacerbated by the hurricane. And then the third one is, I mean, potential. Every time I go to Acapulco, and I first went to Acapulco when I was either twelve or thirteen. We I, I went there with my family for spring break, and it's it's a stunning place to be. Just the natural beauty of it, and you understand why it is this historic uh, beach destination. You know that kind of. Hollywood stars started going to in the fifties, um, and, and made this really, uh, exciting destination back then. And it is, it has such natural beauty. And then, and then just the people I've met in Acapulco over the years, um, are very kind and generous and hardworking. And so I think there's a huge potential there, both the natural beauty and the people there give it potential despite all of the, all the challenges it has right now. Okay, so fragile, stratified, and potential. I think those are those are some pretty great words for describing Acapulco. And in particular, I really like fragile and potential as kind of showing the two sides of the coin for the city. And I recently looked up some stats on the state of Guerrero, where Acapulco is located, and I see that... 75% of the state's workers are employed in the informal economy, either in, in informal street businesses or off the books on cash salaries at, at formal companies. And we also know that income levels in Guerrero are, are quite low. And Guerrero stands out as one of the three poorest states in Mexico. And it is also top three for the proportion of residents who work in the informal economy so top three for poverty and top three for the level of economic inform informality mm -hmm. and 
um, kind of diving a little bit deeper into the into the statistics, I saw that around 80% of the state's residents earn $6,000 or less in annual income. And on the other hand, there are fewer than 3,000 people in the entire state who earn more than $30,000 a year. So just to put that differently, Around 8 in 10 people in Guerrero earn less than $6,000 a year, and just a fraction of the top 1% earn salaries of over $30,000 per year. So those are the dynamics in the broader state of Guerrero, but within Acapulco, when we zoom in there, we see that 70% of the city's 1 million residents live below the poverty line. And I think that those numbers really highlight the concept that Acapulco is a city with a tourism-dependent economy that is really quite fragile when faced with disasters. And I also like the word potential, because uh, over the years I've spent a fair bit of time in Acapulco, both working on research for articles and also just taking vacations. And I've always really enjoyed exploring the old section of the city, the rocky coves and the cliff-lined beaches near the historic hotels like the Los Flamingos Hotel, which was built in the early 1930s. And I know that there have been some attempts to refurbish and promote some of the city's old hotels, but I recently saw some pictures showing that the Flamingos Hotel, which is really one of the coolest places I've ever stayed in Mexico, was totally destroyed during the hurricane. Yeah, yeah. So, I wanted to ask, I know that you've been to Acapulco recently, and, and in your mind, if you had to pick one word to describe the damage you saw, what would that one word be? I mean... Having covered some other natural disasters, the damage I saw on Acapulco was uh, incomparable to anything I've I've seen anywhere else. Um, I, I don't mean to say it's you know the the kind of worst hurricane or natural disaster ever, but like you know it it was uh, one of it was you know the the strongest hurricane to ever hit Mexico, um, one of the strongest hurricanes to ever hit a city um, in recorded history. Um, I mean like. For example, the winds that were officially recorded in Acapulco as uh, Hurricane Otis was at its strongest hitting the city uh, were some of the strongest winds ever recorded on Earth um, and, and were certainly the strongest to ever be recorded hitting a city. You know, I, you know, there's all there's, you know, in and around Acapulco is about a million people. And so. In that sense, it was. uh you know the the damage uh was in line with a storm of that intensity i mean so so you know you've probably seen lots of pictures as you say los flamingos uh, seem to have been totally destroyed i mean another uh famous hotel from the area the the princess hotel um over in diamante uh that's a very famous hotel in the area and i mean the pictures that came out of that that was actually where the first pictures that i saw the day after the hurricane were from and I mean, it had the wind had just ripped through the entire hotel. So I mean, uh, the thing that was crazy to see there was these like high-rise hotels that you could see entirely through them because the the wind had ripped from the coast side all the way through to the land side of the hotel. I mean, it seemed like anything that was made of plywood or um, 
like sheetrock uh, or uh, like a drywall. That's the word I was thinking of. Anything, any wall that was plywood or drywall was just ripped away by the wind. It was, it was that strong. I mean, the other way to describe it is like, as I was talking to people in those days after the hurricane, I mean, they described what it was like as, as if it were like a horror movie they were in. And so, so as the storm intensified that night, people had to get to any room they could in, you know, their hotel or their home that actually had four solid walls around them. So often that was like a bathroom or a closet or something like that. And the way people described it of just like huddling in this like small space, hearing things being thrown around. I mean, people talked about watching their dogs being swept away by the wind, um, you know, couches, beds, cars flipped over. And so you're kind of like huddled in this little room waiting for the wind to subside and you're just hearing things being tossed around. There was some flooding um, also, particularly in kind of the working class neighborhoods of the city from from rivers that were overrun. Um, but it I mean, it, it really put into context how how destroyed Acapulco is and how much uh, rebuilding has to happen. So incomparable. I think that's a pretty great yeah. word for describing some of the damage. And maybe I'd also suggest devastating and historic. Um, is as you mentioned, the the wind speed that was recorded in Acapulco is really pretty remarkable. Um, I saw an article that said that Otis was the strongest storm ever to hit Mexico's Pacific coast. And mm-hmm. I think it was just extraordinarily bad luck that it touched Acapulco, which is a major population center. And of course, I've reviewed photos and video footage showing how some of the hotels on the coast were just utterly gutted by the 165 mile per hour winds. And I saw that there was actually one gust recorded that was over 200 miles per hour which is one of the, yeah, that's right. the fastest gusts of wind ever recorded on earth um so keeping in mind you know just how devastating the damage was for some of the buildings and how how many homes were destroyed and how many hotels were destroyed i'm wondering when you look at the government response what grade would you give President Lopez Obrador for his response to the hurricane damage? I, I mean, particularly in those first couple days. So I was there. I, I didn't make it there the day after the storm. I made it two days after the storm and, and then was there for another like two and a half days in the city. And in those days, I mean, the, the grade was unequivocally an F, uh, an F minus. It was it was terrible. So. You know, you may have seen that President Lopez Obrador went to Acapulco the day after the storm. And I mean, there was stuff that is just farcical of like these pictures of him uh, in like a military jeep stuck in the mud trying to get there. And so he made that trip the first day. And then he hasn't been back to Acapulco since. My sense is that he got to Acapulco and saw that he that it would be terrible for him if he were there because there was so much damage. And then what I saw over the next several days was there was zero aid. And I mean, we went to many different, you know, working class neighborhoods across the city. Uh, We went up and down the hotel strip. 
and there was no aid anywhere. I mean, uh, you know, food, water, medical care, nothing. The only aid um, I saw that was happening was there, there was a lot of Mexican military there that was working to clear roads, um, you know, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of trees uh, were thrown into roads uh, because of this power lines were down. Um, so I also saw CFE, the national power company uh, working those first couple of days. But like in terms of just helping people who needed food and water and medical care, there was nothing uh, those, those first couple of days. At the same time, President Lopez Obrador was really playing down the damage and the deaths in Acapulco um, as that happened. And so no, I, ju I just think unequivocally his initial response was was terrible. They were trying to, uh, they they were just trying to do PR to make it not look as bad as it was, um, and and it was really really terrible. Uh, those those first few days. Uh, since then, more aid has gotten in. The big problem with it is that everything I've seen and heard from speaking to people I met in Guerrero since then or in Acapulco since then is that all of the aid must come through the federal government. So, you know, if you see pictures of this, you'll see people getting these like canastas, these like, um, you know, food staples, baskets, um, and they're all in boxes that say Gobierno de Mexico. Um, so, you know, branding for the Mexican government. Um, I talked to people who worked with NGOs who were told that if they wanted to bring aid into Acapulco, they had to hand over their aid to the Mexican military um, to be distributed, that they wouldn't let private NGOs um, hand out aid. They have since changed that and let NGOs work. But with AMLO's kind of obsession of everything being about him, I think he really limited the amount of aid that um, NGOs and the UN could have helped with there. And his government was just not ready to respond to this. Um, the, the other big question, I mean, there's tons of details to it, is like, his response in terms of recovery, um, I mean, he's pledged, uh, you know, a, a bit over $3 billion towards recovery in terms of the government investment in that. Um, I mean, that's a that's a lot less than what the estimated damage is. It, it's one thing to think about rebuilding hotels and other tourism infrastructure. Um, but I mean, then you think of the hundreds of thousands of people who live in neighborhoods, the working class neighborhoods on the outskirts of Acapulco, how many of them don't have jobs anymore? I mean, as, as you mentioned, so many of them work in the informal economy. Um, what has happened to uh, the economy overall there? Can people even make a living going forward? So, you know, they have announced some some advanced payments on like government benefit programs, some kind of increases in those. Um, but Right now, this is all hypothetical. Um, I to to really give another grade, maybe I'd upgrade my grade right now to somewhere in the D range of the government response. I think Semana Santa next year is going to be the time to see whether the government has made a dent at all in the recovery. Um, Semana Santa is a really big tourism week uh, in March and April um, in in Acapulco. If that goes well, then you know I might be a bit more hopeful, but. Um, Right now, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to to kind of uh, be positive about their response. So, 
as nearly as I can tell, it just doesn't seem like President Lopez Obrador wants to make rebuilding uh, Acapulco a priority in the, in the short term. And no, we see some estimates that the storm may have caused damage um, of over $16 billion. I saw one article that mentioned that the damage could be over $20 billion. But as you just mentioned, the uh, the aid package that he's put together is just over three billion, and that's obviously not enough to cover the total damage that has occurred in the in the city. And he said that he wants to see hotels and residents rebuild on their own, but it's very tough for hotels to secure loans when they're severely damaged and not able to host guests or generate income. And as we mentioned, so many residents in the state work in the informal economy and there might be people who work, you know, cleaning hotels or selling fruit or other items on the beach. And those people will find their income levels devastated if tourists aren't coming to Acapulco. And we know that December is usually the biggest income generator for Acapulco's hotels, but I saw that as of right now, there are only 500 hotel rooms available, and that's down mm-hmm. around 97% from the nearly 20,000 that are used that are usually available during the Christmas holiday season. So we have seen Lopez Obrador simply refuse to take a helicopter into Acapulco to walk around, talk to residents. It seems like maybe with an important election coming up in uh, 2024 in which his successor will be chosen, he doesn't want those photos or those videos that show him walking through devastated neighborhoods. Um, It's just a a guess. But as you said, sometimes he seems to make everything about him. And this seems like that could be a case where it's happening. I saw that he claimed publicly that he didn't want to go to Acapulco because he thought that residents might uh, be frustrated with him and he didn't want anyone to treat him like a nobody. But Mm -hmm. later, he also bragged that the good thing was that the hurricane had not caused any damage to his reputation, (laughs) that his approval rating hadn't gone down as a result of uh, his management of the hurricane damage. So overall, for me, it's just really hard to look at Lopez Obrador's management of the hurricane recovery process and give it anything other than an F. and and one, I think one little detail to just mention there, Lopez Obrador is one part of it, but his Morena party also holds the governorship of Guerrero. And like if, if Lopez Obrador's response has been an F, I don't even know where to put Governor Evelyn Salgado's response. Um, I mean, she has been basically invisible in this. And so, Yes, I mean, the federal government, with the amount of resources they have, really has to lead recovery. They're the only one who can mobilize billions of dollars needed for this. But I mean, the state government, and again, as you mentioned, in a state, one of the poorest in Mexico is is doing, you know, a, a very poor job from everything I can tell uh, to aid in this recovery, too. Yeah, I think that that's a great point, And I wonder what role 
that that plays that the governor of the state is from the same party as Lopez Obrador and maybe he feels confident that he's not going to lose much support overall in the state and is simply just choosing not to prioritize it but overall I think that uh, his leadership in this in this case has just been perplexing it's just very hard to look at what he has done and find a, a strategy there and um, maybe zooming out a little bit to talk about some of like the broader dynamics in Acapulco I wanted to ask you about the issue of crime as we know Acapulco has been one of the most violent cities in the world for the last 10 years. And I'm wondering if you have any insights into how the security dynamic could be affected by the ongoing disruptions from the hurricane. Well, I think there's one really interesting story that totally disappeared from the news because of Hurricane Otis. But you may remember that a few days before, I mean, I think less than a week before, I, I forget the exact date, but less than a week before Hurricane Otis hit, uh, 13 police officers were killed, what looked like execution style, near um, Coyuca de Benitez, which also suffered really serious damage from Hurricane Otis. I mean, 13 municipal police officers at once were, I mean, a massacre of police officers. Um, that was a huge story for like a day. And then the hurricane hit and it disappeared from uh, the news. So, you know, Acapulco is better than it's been in recent years. Certainly not like a what, what I would qualify as a good security situation, but better. But like that area is is still uh, really, really troubled um, with with uh, organized crime dynamics. It was allegedly uh, the. Familia Michoacana, who was responsible for that massacre of police officers. Um, so, I mean, you look, you have several major groups uh, operating uh, drug trafficking and then other organized crime uh, activities of, you know, extortion, um, you know, being involved in kind of construction and other infrastructure um, <laughs> uh, projects in in the area but i mean you know the major ones the the jalisco new generation cartel the sinaloa cartel and then the, the acapulco independent cartel are, are kind of the three main ones there i think i think the main thing to to mention on organized crime in this is you know a word you mentioned early on is i, I think you had mentioned earlier is like desperate and and mm -hmm. i think there are so many people who are desperate as you say so many people work in the informal economy the cash economy with the damage caused by Hurricane Otis, there are just going to be people desperate to make money any way they can. And organized crime is uh, an unfortunate option that I think a lot, of, a lot of people are going to have to turn to to make ends meet uh, with with basically no tourism in Acapulco right now. So I think that's one big issue. I think the bigger issue going forward is we know there's going to be billions of dollars pumped into Acapulco to try to rebuild it. And one thing that organized crime is very good at in Mexico is getting its fingers into uh, government contracting, <laughs> getting in the middle of government benefit programs. Um, and so I really think the concern, and I really have no no faith that this is going to be addressed well uh, given the level of corruption and crime in, in Acapulco and Guerrero more broadly is 
how much money organized crime is going to be able to make uh, during this reconstruction and how involved organized crime is going to be in the in the rebuilding of Acapulco. And I, th I think that's uh, I think that's really troubling. It, it's it's a great opportunity for them, uh, sadly. So I think you make a, a great point in just saying like we we have to wait and see kind of what happens. We don't yet really know what what the impact will be or how the organized crime dynamics will evolve in Acapulco and in Guerrero over the next few months and years. Um, but in general, I know looking through news stories on Acapulco over the past decade, something that you always see is there's organized crime activity. And some of that might be fairly high level sometimes, but there's also low level kind of street crime or street gangs. And in many cases, there are instances where local criminals are extorting and killing taxi drivers or uh, threatening and attacking and burning down local restaurants. Um, so some of those dynamics might evolve as the tourism industry is really impacted and if there are fewer tourists coming and uh, taxi drivers aren't working and restaurants aren't operating at capacity i wonder if some of those dynamics of extortion and murder might um might improve in a sense um if they aren't happening as frequently and i know that I have checked the news over the last few weeks and I don't see any major shootouts in Acapulco over the last few weeks, but yeah, I don't think there have been. We, we do know that between 2012 and 2022 Acapulco registered over 9,000 murders and recently Acapulco was ranked as the number two most violent city in the entire world. And even now, it's improved a little bit, but it's still one of the top 10 most violent cities in the world. And it seems like Acapulco faces a tougher set of challenges than some other hotspots for violence, such as Tijuana or Ciudad Juarez, because its success depends on attracting tourists rather than encouraging foreign investment in factories. And I think Foreign companies can be fairly confident that they can create a safe working environment behind walls, behind closed doors, in a warehouse or a manufacturing facility. But on the other hand, it's hard to convince hotel investors that they can be safe because shootouts can and do happen on Acapulco's beaches. And over the years, I've had the chance to ride along with some police patrols in Acapulco. And in 2013, I interviewed the heads of two different local police forces, and both officers were confident that the security dynamic in Acapulco would improve. But since then, both of those men have been killed. So Oof. with that in mind, I wanted to ask, are you confident that Acapulco is going to bounce back? I, the short answer is no. Um, I... You know, I don't, I don't want to be pessimistic about it because, you know, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I, I first went to Acapulco more than 20 years ago. Um, you know, it was a fairly safe city back then when I went, I, I remember, uh, you know, my, my family and I, uh, you know, flying from, from Colorado to Acapulco and, you know, we rode around in like 
you know, street taxis in Acapulco. And I remember kind of walking along um, the, the main strip in old Acapulco and like going out to eat and stuff. And so I have really fond memories of it and like, don't want to be pessimistic because, you know, again, as I said at the beginning, like potential, it has such tremendous potential and, and it's very sad to see that, uh, not be realized. But I mean, I think we've hit on so many of, of the major things, the, the poor government response, organized crime, and then just the, uh, the impact of, of the hurricane itself. It was a, an historic hurricane that hit. And so there are huge, huge challenges for it to rebuild. I, I, I do think right now it's hard to, you know, we can kind of prognosticate as much as we want of like what may or may not happen. But as, as I mentioned, I think Semana Santa next year is going to be very interesting to see AMLO is really betting on that being the <laughs> the the week that is going to kind of uh, show that Acapulco is going to be able to bounce back. It's not going to be at a hundred percent then, but like let let's see what happens at Semana Santa if if lots of tourists go and if you know particularly among you know for national tourism Mexican tourists who go there. You know, I know people who really want to support Acapulco. So maybe there's going to be this outpouring of people saying, you know what, I want to go to the beach in Acapulco because I want Acapulco to survive. The flip side of that is in Semana Santa, we might see, as you say, still very, very low um, hotel capacity. Um, we we might see a very unsafe city that people don't want to be in, uh, you know, infrastructure that's still uh, not back to, to the needs of a real tourist hub. And so I, I can't be confident at this point that it's going to be back, but like, I really hope it does. You know, you've, you've been there. It's a, it's a beautiful, really wonderful city. And so the idea that, um, the hurricane was kind of the death blow to it is, is really tragic to think about. Yeah, on the on the one hand, looking at it right now, it seems like Acapulco faces a very, very difficult set of challenges. But on the other hand, um, for people looking at buying a, a beach house or investors looking at buying a, a hotel, there might not be a better time to buy a property that was damaged in the in the hurricane. So it might be that a couple of years from now, we look back at this as the start of a new period of investment and growth in Acapulco. But we'll just have to see what happens. And that being said, you know, kind of thinking about all of these difficult dynamics that we have discussed, it just seems like it's very challenging. And there's one thing I always think about Acapulco, which is one day a few years ago, I was staying at the Flamingos Hotel, which is located above a, a picturesque beach in a in a cove nearby. And I walked down towards the beach with my camera and there was a soldier who was standing there on the sidewalk looking out at the sunset and uh, I took a couple of photos and it was it was really a, a beautiful scene. And as I was standing there, a photographer I knew who was from Acapulco came up to me and asked me if I was there to cover the shooting. And I just asked him, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And he told me that two men had just been killed on the beach and I looked over the railing and down on the patio, there were, there were two cadavers and 
it was just kind of a shocking moment, but for me, it kind of summed up this challenge of promoting tourism in one of the world's most violent cities and a city where shootouts can and do happen on major tourist beaches. And I think that Acapulco already faced a very challenging outlook, but now with this hurricane damage, it's even more delicate. And as I mentioned previously on the podcast, I really haven't seen any news reports about major shootings in Acapulco in the last few weeks, but I did just see a story a couple of days ago about cartel gunmen kidnapping 18 people in a town in the mountains outside of Acapulco. So we're really going to have to watch and see exactly how criminal activity in Acapulco evolves during this rebuilding process. But right now, we know that Lopez Obrador has already declared that the emergency in Acapulco is over. But when we think about the residents and what they're dealing with, it seems like the crisis continues. So we're just going to have to see how it evolves over the course of the next year and over the course of the next few years. But Overall, I just want to say thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It was really interesting to hear your perspective. Yeah, of course. I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that the Modern Mexico podcast is sponsored by Republica Coffee Roasters. Mexico is known for producing some of the best coffee in Latin America. In Mexico City, one of the best places residents and visitors can buy coffee is the Republica Coffee Roasters Cafe in Colonia Roma. Republica Roasters Coffee is also available for purchase online. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Mexico Podcast. If you like what you heard in the podcast today, check out my book, Searching for Modern Mexico, which is available on Amazon. The next episode of the podcast is coming soon. Until then, hasta luego, amigos.